Hey there, party people. This is Queer Watching. We are two queers coming at you from opposite coasts of the United States, here to talk about all things film and television with a queer lens. I'm Jesse, here with my best pal, Brianna, and today we're talking about, spoiler alert, the 2022 film. So this is your spoiler alert for spoiler alert. Ouch, don't love saying that. But for the 2022 film, which is based off of the best-selling book that has the same name, spoiler alert, The Hero Dies is the name of the, the book. So that's probably where our title comes from. And spoiler alert was released in the United States December 2nd, 2022, uh, in limited theatrical release by Focus Feature. And I'll give a brief synopsis here. I feel like I'm talking a lot, but I'll give a brief synopsis here. Spoiler alert is a 2022 American romantic drama starring Jim Parsons and Ben Aldridge. I think that's how you say it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As two lovers, one who watches the other's final months before their death from terminal cancer. Uh, and it's, again, based off the 2017 memoir of the same name by Michael Asiello. Asiello. Yes. Asiello. All right. And it's directed by Michael Showalter, who we actually know from some of his other movies, like Lovebirds, Eyes Best of movie. Day. Yeah, and then my favorite of his is probably The Big Sick, which it reminded me quite a bit. The Big Sick in this movie had a lot of similarities, but spoiler alert, it's written by David Marshall Grant and Dan Savage, and Parsons plays, a, I cannot with this last name, Asuelo? Asiello. 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 Okay, I need to write a, hold on. <laughs> and it's funny because in the movie, multiple people mispronounce his name, and so I think this is gold. Also, don't worry, you're not talking a lot. This is exactly everything you already read in all the other episodes, so you're good. Okay, cool. Uh, and then Aldrich plays his lover, Kit Cohen, who is the one who ends up dying of cancer. So uh, Spoiler alert! I promise <laughs> I won't do that too much. I mean, live your life. First thoughts, Brie. What did you think of this one? You saw it in the theaters yesterday, as did I. I did. I did. Um, I was happy. There was uh, quite a few people in my theater honestly I like I did enjoy it I thought it was a good movie it definitely made me cry you could hear the sniffles in the theater um so it definitely hit a lot of people um I've never lost anyone to cancer or had to like walk like support someone through that process or that that experience um so I don't think it hit me as hard as some people who have had that experience might have might have felt this movie it did to me feel like what could have happened after the movie bros ended mm. like the second act of bros, because I felt like the characters were very similar and we saw a similar character growth um, or character arc in order to get the characters where they needed to be to then support each other through this, through cancer. And so I thought it was like a good book end to that rom-com. But yeah, I thought it was some of the best acting by queer actors. Or I, I actually don't know. I meant to look that, but I don't know um, if what's his name, uh, Ben Aldridge is, is queer of any kind. But for a queer movie, I thought the acting was really good. And you know, I also love Sally Fields. Uh, so yeah, I'd give it a solid like seven. I thought overall the acting was was good. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that this movie was pretty good, but not great. And I don't know if it's because we get the spoiler alert, right? Like, like I'm a big fan of not getting spoils. So I couldn't tell if knowing that he died immediately 
did take away from some of it. I, you know, I definitely cried at the end uh, when he he is dying. And although it was mostly his mom, like it was Sally Fields that really, I think, evoked the most emotion for me. But I don't know. It's hard to critique this stuff again. I think we've mentioned this before when it's real. Like if this is actually how it happened, there doesn't feel like there's a ton of room to critique any storytelling and what would have made like better storytelling. I did think the use of the 80s sitcom to try to tell some of the past things that that the Jim Parsons character Michael has gone through didn't really work for me. I saw what they were going for, but it took me out of the movie too much every time they did it. And I think really hurt kind of the pacing for me. Yeah, it was just like a jarring zoom out every time. And I didn't, I didn't appreciate that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we see why it's there. But I felt like him being a TV journalist was enough to do that final scene where his partner has died and he does or is dying and he does the essentially like the, the interview with him. Right. There was still enough there to do that. If you want that to be your like more uplifting ending kind of moment without doing all of the, the cuts to the sitcoms. So mm-hmm. how did you feel about those? To a certain extent, I enjoyed it. It very much gave me Scrubs vibes when they do an episode of like, what if this was to be like a traditional sitcom? Um, And in that someone dies of, I think, a very fast oncoming cancer and and he's a TV writer. Um, And it does those sharp cuts like that, like going back from the real life of, of the episode that's happening. And then they're like, just kidding. This is all a joke and I don't have cancer. I'm gonna live. Um, And so it gave like a nice reprieve from like sitting in the sadness of everything. I like those moments of brevity because sometimes it's like just brutal to sit in it. Like my sister's keeper. Love that movie. And that movie is just brutal. The book is way worse. So if you're like, oh, that was rough. Don't read the book. And I think that it gives space for it to actually kind of tiptoe into the definition of rom-com because it's not everything just tragic it's that disassociation but this was his disassociation was kind of like to go back into the things that brought him joy I think they could have done more about the backstory in regards of like we know his mom died of cancer and so we assume that this is bringing up a lot for him But the last scene that we see going back into the sitcom was him not being able to find his mom. But we don't see really like how that impacted him, how that impacted his brothers or like anything like that. And so we're just kind of like left to assume that that was when his mom had died. And that's when the sitcom kind of like ended. I think the use of the laugh track is a big part of my issue with it because in the scene you're talking about, where it's the last flashback and he's looking all over the house for his mom. Every time he says mom and she's not there, the laugh track plays really intensely. And there's nothing funny about that to me. And even in the previous ones, when they're using the laugh track, they overdo it so much. It feels like they're making fun of this whole thing, which I think is why it also doesn't work for me because 
these flashbacks are like his safe space, right? This is where they're important to him. This is where he felt safe and connected. So to be making almost mocking them was also why it doesn't work for me, I think. I get that, but I didn't necessarily view it as a mocking. I viewed it more as like that was the extent to which a laugh track was used in early sitcoms and like with that last scene of the sitcom you do see the laugh track be decreased so like when he's first is like mom everyone's laughing and then it's a few more or a few less people and then it's a few less people and then like it's almost as if the audience has realized like oh no this isn't a bit his mom is dead um and then he's just like sitting on the couch to watch TV. And then there's kind of like some awkward laugh track because the audience is like, we don't, we don't know what we're supposed to do. This isn't, this isn't funny, but <laughs> I guess. So I also like, I don't know if it was my favorite, but like, I think without it, they wouldn't have been able to classify this in any way. I mean, they called it a romantic drama, so maybe it could have, done without it but it wouldn't have been a comedy I don't think any of the jokes would have there wouldn't have been as much brevity sure I don't think there would have been quite as much brevity but I think there's other comedy in this movie besides all that sitcom stuff like when he has to go de-gay his boyfriend's apartment that was hysterical like there are things in here that are comedic or even the reveal of like well I almost called him Sheldon of Michael's um (laughs) of Michael's apartment and his intense Smurf collection, oh my gosh, like, that's comical. No matter how you swing it, like, yes, it also speaks to other things, but it is also funny. And mm-hmm. his boyfriend's response is also funny. I think, going back to the sitcoms a little, the over-the-topness is where I get some of these feelings of mockery. It's the laugh track on top of the acting, on top of the script, right? Like, his brother's making, like, the dumbest, and I get it, it's supposed to reek 80s sitcom, but... Even 80s sitcoms take themselves more seriously than this did. And so I just, it just really didn't connect for me. It's the the overdoing of the sitcom in order to mock it and in order to like kind of critique it because it's like, no, this was so ridiculous, but it still has those like grains of what you would see on a sitcom, but it's just like, absolutely ridiculous and but it still follows the pattern of the show of where like terrible things are not supposed to happen and if they do happen then they're supposed to be resolved in like moments yeah to me it almost feels like what they were going for is like a soap opera but that's not what was presented to us what presented to us was a sitcom so to me there there are different things and they almost like kept conflating them to me and i just was like no 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 <laughs> so speaking of soap operas when michael Osiello was like i realized i was gay when i got aroused by a shirtless Bo brady i was like don't worry we've all been there <laughs> we have all been there with Bo brady he is so fucking att- attractive ah uh, Bo and hope i was a huge stand for them they were gorgeous um yes i did watch days of our lives every single day with my mom who recorded it on a vhs tape that's great <laughs> cute yep Yep. (laughs) it's even older than the digital cameras they use in this movie (laughs) oh yeah I mean but that was very on point with the time because I had my teal one that I used in high school which was when they were supposed to be falling in love 
Yeah, and they give us that Christmas card montage, so we know it's supposed to be like early, early aughts to like early 2010s kind of area. So everything, everything aligned technology wise. There, did you notice that when they're on the dance floor, it was a Robin song? I don't know what it is, but I swear to God, every movie with gay men's like, well, we gotta have a Robin song in here. <laughs> I'm not a fan of Robin, so I didn't notice. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm pretty sure bros had one too. Like, I, I just, I feel like they're just like, well, we have to. It's uh, Otherwise, how are they going to know? <laughs> this movie reminded me just on like a broad level, a little bit of Supernova. that came out, I think, 2021. Mm-hmm. Just in that like gay couple, one of them's dealing with cancer. How do they deal with it together kind of thing? Supernova was better though, in my opinion. I think it elicited... For me, like more emotion. It was different because, of course, uh, Stanley Tucci does not like we don't see him going through chemo. We don't see him going through radiation, which I think is really for me what did it with like what made me so sad is watching the decline of someone. And in Supernova, they make it sad for a whole other reason. And the acting is just gut wrenching. And yeah, if you haven't seen that movie, go ahead and do that because it's phenomenal, even though it is acted by two people who are not gay um they are best friends and i do think that that adds to the like intensity of that movie yeah they had surprisingly amazing chemistry in supernova i thought i do believe if they were gay they would be together because it like (laughs) would it makes sense yeah they're just great i also think it's not very difficult to make a movie about cancer sad like it is it is going to be sad especially if the person dies, which like in the movies that I'm thinking about cancer, Brian's song, Supernova. Um, but uh, My Sister's Keeper, like, you know, the type well, of cancer they have is not the type where it's just like a blip on the life. Like it is the theme of the movie um, or a big character in the movie. And so you do those shots of them going through chemo, of them going through radiation. And of course, it's going to pull on your heartstrings. Of course, it's going to be really devastating because you don't want someone to be in that pain. You don't want someone to die, especially if they're a character you've grown to love. And so I feel like it wasn't a much more remarkable movie beyond what it was because I knew what to expect. Yeah, it did in a lot of ways just feel like a step-by-step play of everything that happened and the slow decline, those conversations with the doctors that start with, well, we can try these things all the way to Mm -hmm. probably six weeks, but not six months, right? And that's brutal. But yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, because it is so real and tragic, you almost don't want there to be a whole bunch of nuance because it's a tragedy in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like points I did like during the whole, like from when he was diagnosed to when he's going in for his first round of chemo was when they introduced the doctor who was like, no, you've got stage four really aggressive cancer. I loved how they were like, and we were set up to get a great, um diagnosis her hair was done fabulous her makeup was done fabulous she was gorgeous so of course this was going to be the moment and I thought that was really like I felt myself feeling hope at that moment and then I had to remind myself oh no he dies and so I knew it wasn't going to be good but then 
also when he's trying when he when Michael Ostiello is getting Kit a bed and he like screams like get my husband a bed a I 100% say wife when I want it to seem more legitimate because it does it's like okay this is this is a relationship and then on top of that I loved that Kit was like well that was Oscar worthy I immediately thought of you and I was like (laughs) oh he's gonna love that but yeah I thought that those were two moments that like reference movies or tv that were good how did you feel about the coming out scene the one we saw so Kit's coming out scene um I thought it was okay in the sense of like that's a little bit of what I expected and I thought it was very on the nose for parents that think that like or don't understand why somebody would not want to tell them things it makes sense that for a brief moment Sally Fields makes it about herself and that the dad is like trying to justify that they're hip and cool and open and I did like that like they didn't shy around it. They did. They didn't take their time. It was very, very quick. The roommate Kirby, I left this movie really wanting a bagel, like really <laughs> badly. Cause she was just sitting there eating all of these bagels with so much cream cheese. And I just kept thinking about New York bagels and I didn't have time to get one. And I was very sad. Okay. Do, do you have opinions on the coming out uh, scene? Um, I mostly agree with what you said. I thought it was very relatable and interesting that they have Sally Fields, the mom, uh, yeah, take a moment and be like, how could you think I wouldn't be accept- accepting and yeah, make it all about what she did to cause this for a minute. Um, but then she does come around pretty quickly. And even so far as, you know, once he's dying more, they they go and they get married, mm-hmm. which I thought was really, really beautiful you know not too much time left if that's what you want to do then do it and they were just supportive whereas I feel like my parents would have been like well you didn't even invite us <laughs> I 100% thought that's what Sally Field was going to say yeah. but then I was also like no Where's she knows her child invite? is dying yeah. like I don't yeah. think they're gonna and, split hairs at that point and that is probably one of the more interesting parts of this to me is is how we look at it before he's gonna die and how we look at it after because certain things matter before that do not after right okay. there's a reveal that he did at least one time cheat on michael with one of his co-workers i mean they've been on again off again so maybe cheat is is too generous but um there's been some kind of of uh other thing going on besides just with michael but at that point you know he's got weeks left to live and michael doesn't he just asks, gets an answer, and then it seems immediately forgives him because at this point in time, it doesn't fucking matter. So I thought that was cool. I do too. And I do think this part of the movie was done really perfectly. But before I get to that part, I want to just acknowledge I did love the callback when Kit asks him, asks Michael to marry him. Michael is like, are you calling me chattel? Because in their <laughs> very first conversation, yeah. they talked about how it was tied to to chattel and and chattel slavery and stuff like that but anyways I think it was really great that I think they intentionally put the therapy sessions in between the diagnosis and the first part because you have a therapist who says I think you love each other but I think you resent each other too much to 
like essentially get out of your own ways and just love each other. Because it's what we wind up seeing is after the montage of the Christmas cards, enough time has passed that maybe they've gotten into ruts. Maybe things that they haven't processed themselves have come up, which we kind of get glimpses of that when they are like switching between scenes in therapy, but they both seem to firmly be like, I love this person, but they are not doing what I need them to do in order to make me capable of loving them or like being in this relationship. And then going through cancer together makes them both kind of realize like the ways in which they were contributing to the deterioration of the relationship. And they're able to take responsibility for their own shortcomings. So like Michael saying, I'm sorry, my baggage made you feel like I couldn't trust you. I'm sorry that I got in the way of different things because I was so terrified that you were going to realize how beautiful you are and you were going to leave me. And I think having that, like those scenes in therapy be the thing that splits the movie was really important because it was never that they didn't love each other. It was that oftentimes when you're in long-term relationships, you just get too stuck in the like, here's everything I'm doing to make this person happy. And they're not doing this for me. And you can get really resentful. You can get really like, no, fuck you, but I still love you. And being able to like move past that resentment and all of that stuff is the thing that made them be able to actually like give each other the relationship that they wanted towards the end. But most people can't get past that or out of their own way to be able to acknowledge that like, oh no, it's not just this person, this other person in this relationship. I'm also contributing to the like roadblocks and friction here. Yeah. It really humanized them both. I think those therapy scenes and made it a much more relatable relationship instead of just your typical rom-com we met, fell in love, happily ever after idea. Yeah. And that I also felt like it was giving, that's why I said to me, it was giving like part two of bros because we do see them beginning to have those conversations in that movie where they're like, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm doing. And I felt like I could imagine that couple in bros getting to this point and like, again, needing to kind of get out of their own way in order to love this person who all they want to do is love you. Relatable. Yeah. Big time. I saw that and I was like, oof. I wonder how this would have hit if I heard that a couple years ago. And then I was like, yeah, but it, it, it's rough. Yeah. The line that hit me the most in the movie comes from Kit who is dying. And he says something to the effect of, I think I'm going to miss it here. And that like, that just that longing for life and that like, you know, in those moments, recognizing everything, right. And all the potential stuff you won't, do or see are the people that you'll miss that that felt incredibly loaded. And I definitely cried in the theater at that part. I mean, multiple parts of this movie, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I feel like that was, I know a lot of millennials say like, Oh, I have to be here. Like adulthood is ghetto and all of those different types of things. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes I feel like it's in jest, but I do know that there's some people who are like, Like that's really their opinion on life. And in this moment, I feel like we see Kit being like, I got to be here. 
I've got to have a life and I'm sad that I don't get to continue that. Even though he had cancer, even though his relationship was hard, even though he lived as a closeted person for a very long time, even though his job wasn't exactly what he wanted it to be, like he was still going to miss being alive and being in relationship with Michael. Yeah. Yep. And he was scared. He said at one point after the diagnosis, like that he was scared. And I thought that was also, I mean, many movies that deal with death have some of these ideas in them, but still, still very real. Mm -hmm. I felt like when we were introduced to Michael, that I was being introduced to you. And so I'm wondering how you felt seeing yourself on screen. <laughs> Boy, I do not know how to interpret that. I do not have a Smurf thing for starters. And while my apartment has been decked out intensely in superhero stuff before, never has it been that intense like Michael's was. <laughs> oh, Papa. That was funny. That was funny. Okay, so why do you think this was me? I mean, okay, so you're not six foot three. Um, and not going hard on the short jokes to start with. All right. <laughs> yes. You're my little pocket queer. Oh, um, hey, I'm not that short. I mean, you are taller right. than me, and I am, I am average. Um, so, and you're right. You did not have a massive Smurf collection, but... I thought of you because he was a journalist for TV and he had like sitcoms and soaps and maybe movies that like brought him comfort and reminded him of times of his life. I remember when you came to live with me when you were 17 for a brief moment, you brought like a duffel bag. And I think half of that was movies um, because you were ready to like watch a whole bunch of movies with me. Because you, I love you, but you're a little awkward. Um, you would need people like his coworker to drag your ass out and not finish a work project because you are working on your need to be perfect. Um, but you love to not leave things unfinished. Mm -hmm. You're incredibly handsome and you, you have great hair. Although his was definitely a hairpiece because we know Parsons has yes. much deeper cul-de-sacs. It looked good though. Um, unlike him, you have an incredible beard. Now I'm just talking about why I love you. Um, <laughs> but yes, I feel like there was just a lot of things about him that I'd be like, yeah, no, this is, this is definitely someone that Jesse would vibe with, but you would That's again true. need someone like me to pull you out into a world where you could meet somebody like Kit. So, yeah, there were parts of this character that were very relatable. Um, I am a little bit awkward. I do need extroverts to get me out of my shell. And there were some very relatable things here. Um, that's fair. Yeah. When he was really into television and talking about TV and why it was important to him, I was like, oh, this is a this is a really big relate. And, you know, also, also why I think I have a draw to some of movies and television is because some of them were very important growing up and it's something that my entire family could do together so mm -hmm. yeah although for jock night you definitely just wouldn't throw on a baseball cap you'd be like okay now what sports hat do i have of my like 
20, I don't know, actually know how many you have, but I know you have a lot of hats. And then you'd be like, okay, now what sports jersey do I want to, or sports shirt do I want to wear? What team do I want to talk about? But you'd go to the club thinking that people would want to chat about the sports teams that they were wearing. And they'd just be like, no, no, no. Want to go do some ecstasy and suck my dick? And you'd be like, oh, I'm I'm not that kind of jock. <laughs> Yeah, you're right. I would never go with a Yankees hat like he does, like big wolf. Blasphemy! <laughs> Blasphemy! You can be wrong. <laughs> but yeah, I would probably go Seahawks gear or something. And yeah, different conversation. I did think it was funny that his going to the jock party was just throwing on a baseball cap. <laughs> with his fucking button down. It was hysterical. Yeah, it was. <sighs> I am curious. How do we feel about Dan Savage? Like, I know a while ago, he was someone that was not someone that we really were supportive of. I have not done any research. Like, he's been ir- irrelevant in my life. So I don't really know where we stand on him. But when I saw that he had, I believe, wrote this, I was like, ooh, is that something that's okay for us to be supporting? Yeah, he is He is a co-writer on this. That probably depends who you ask. I think there have been some critiques of him in the past for centering white gay men over other identities, possibly having some transphobia here and there. I would like to think that he is on a journey of growth and has learned some of these things. But yeah, I'm not super sure. It's I personally struggle with certain critiques of Dan Savage, I guess, because it's kind of one of those things that we see constantly, like, do we critique the artist if they make great art? Or in Dan Savage's case, do we hate on someone that has helped a lot of LGBT youth with the It Gets Better project? I personally have mixed feelings. Like, I think that project was amazing. And personally, like, I don't know, spoke to me. So I have a hard time being too critical of him when there's so much positive he's done as well. But also, if he's a huge transphobe, then that doesn't jive with me either. So, and I mean, what I like really know about him, or I should say, most recently learned about him, was that he like spewed a lot of fat phobia. Um, because I read the book Shrill, and he was the supervisor or whatever I don't even know journalist things, but yes, of he the... was an editor at The Stranger, I believe. There you go, yeah. Yep. Um, and again, people can grow, I think that it is important that we hold people in their wholeness that they can both be great and terrible simultaneously that we do not live in silos and that if someone is continually showing that like they're willing to grow and willing to change I'm not going to like that's I try and do this with politicians as well if you voted against my rights 20 years ago but now you are actively working like for my rights for the rights of people that I love and like have shown that human growth that's what I care about. If you're staying a piece of shit and doubling down, then that's when I have a problem. But I was not born the perfect human that I am. And so I also give people that grace. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a good call on, uh, on, on growth and Dan Savage. Yeah. I also read Shrill. Amazing book. Yeah, I had kind of forgotten that that was after him. So yeah, he definitely has some some growth to do, I imagine, still. Did I ever give you back your copy? Because that's how I read it. 
I don't think so. so. Okay, it might still be on my bookshelf somewhere, <laughs> but you can just forget that I mentioned that. Um, moving right along. What do you think about the Queer Eye cameo? Oh, Anthony. Anthony. <laughs> I, I mean, loved it. Yeah, I spotted him immediately. I yep. was like, I mean, sure. It just feels like a big call out to all the gays that went to see your movie right so because <laughs> judging by the box office i think it's just queers that went to see this it's still under a million dollars in the box office so pretty low much <laughs> much less than a lot of other movies but i also think that was probably expected um i didn't see a huge marketing push for this and uh yeah i think it had pretty low expectations especially after bros but you know we contributed so that's something yeah, we did. Yeah. And, and I, I saw it... Bros twice. So I doubled down on my contribution. Well, there you go. There you go. I think it will also eventually be on Peacock. If we chase the thread of who owns what down Universal, it should, I believe, be Peacock at some point. So hopefully, just like Bros, it'll get a second life on streaming. Yeah, that makes sense. So a while back, I joined a book club. And there was this person in the book club who planted the seed in my mind before that I'd never really thought of it, but we read this book called Juliet takes a breath. And if you have not read it, I highly recommend it. It's about a queer woman of color. This person did not like the way in which the book, that book ended and the way other books that we read ended, which were essentially that like, so I wrote a book about my experience and that was essentially this ending. And I felt like that, that felt really flat. I understand that like after the passing of Kit, he felt invigorated to not let another day go by doing something that he wanted, not doing something that he wanted to do. But I think it could have been done differently where like, It didn't have to end with a, so I wrote a book about my experience and my loss. Uh, I think it could have been like, I learned this thing. I decided I wasn't going to let another day go by without doing what I wanted to do. And I moved to LA. I don't know, but it just, it feels very anticlimactic and a very, like how this person describes it is kind of like a cop, like a, a cop out when it comes to ending books or movies just kind of like it and then this is done and now you're seeing the ending of this story I guess to me the ending in my head is that he goes to LA like yes we know he writes a book and it becomes a movie but in the movie like that's the final scene that sticks out to me or the one that's in the credits which is the actual person in real life that died I don't know if he stayed through the credits but I did not in because the middle, they turned there's... the lights on and I was like, oh, so there's nothing left. Damn it. Yeah, it's not too far into the credits, but they show, um, you know, the scene in the movie where he's filming and blowing bubbles. Mm-hmm. That really happened. And so they show the actual footage of that. That is also what kind of like lasted with me is like, oh, this is what he actually looked like. And so to me, the ending in my head isn't. And then he wrote a book. But at the same time, I also think as a journalist, if you're going to do something career wise next, writing a book would be the thing, right? So it's just him. Ooh, I don't love this is the word that's coming to mind. I don't love it, but ascending career wise, if you will. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
kind of a positive note. Like they probably just didn't want to end it. And then he was depressed for three months until he bounced back, you know? And I mean, I do get that. I feel like it just could have, like, it would have been nice to see maybe a flash forward of him being in LA Mm. and like maybe him going out on a date and like him, like what brought you to LA? And then him being like, well, I like a little bit brief synopsis of this. And then it being like his first time bringing back a guy to the apartment or something like that. And he opens up the door and there's no more Smurfs, but maybe it ends on like a picture of Michael and Kit and like a tran like a transcript or a meeting reminder for like meet with publisher about book or something like that. Like it could have been a little bit more, here's how I grew from this relationship. Here's how I still keep this relationship in my heart and with me, not, okay, I feel invigorated. I'm going to go to LA and write a book. Gotcha. So you wanted more of like an emotional growth ending versus like, and then I did this task. It felt like he died from cancer. Yeah. And then I left LA and wrote a book. Yeah. Okay. okay. You just very, sense. you made the ending very quick. Yeah, that's fair. Especially when the ending is one that we know is coming too. Yeah, I agree with you. That would have been cool to see. Like the ending could have just, if at that point, if that's the amount of like hope we want to leave the audience with about that character, then I'm like, then at that point, a more moving ending would have just been the zoom out of the family sobbing over Kit as he's passed away. The moving ending would have been the exit interview that Kit did with Michael. I also did really like the funeral. I forgot about that part. I did really like that. Um, or you could have ended with that, but I didn't think the taxi scene was necessary. That's fair. Was there a favorite scene for you? I mean, I honestly loved the Smurf scene where the boyfriend is just kind of in awe at what he's looking at. And Michael is just like hurriedly trying to explain how he got here and why it's like this and how it's not a problem, but maybe it's a problem. <laughs> that was pretty funny to me. And I thought his reaction was pretty cute, right? Of like, okay, this is a lot, but also something we can get past. And I see why you didn't want me to see your apartment. <laughs> what the fuck? I also, though, yes, I did think that scene was very, very cute. I also, though, did not understand why Michael did nothing to set up his apartment for a visitor before he went out. And I know people could say like, oh, well, he wasn't expecting him to come back. Like, maybe he didn't think he'd have to deal with that. I get that. But the guy had already asked to go back to his place once. And so if I had that, then I probably would have like, put Papa in the closet or like taken some of the Smurf stuff out of my bedroom because I don't know if I could get a hard on with all of those Smurf figurines everywhere. You know, like things like that. Not that I would never have told the person, but I would have made it more comfortable for sex. Yeah, I mean, I don't think we need to force Papa Smurf back in the closet, but I get your point. <laughs> that thing was fucking massive. Also, it was a very large Papa, Papa Smurf. was in the closet. <laughs> Yes. I also like as far as like scenes that evoked emotion. When Kit was not out and he had Michael go de-gay his apartment and Michael had to take down his Christmas present in the closet, that was pretty sad. And I was pretty happy that the coming out wasn't too far behind because I wasn't sure on top of everything else going on, like with the, the death and cancer, that 
we could also handle a like he's not out plotline on top of it and all of that uh dynamic and complication as well so i was glad it was a you know not too long before that was fixed if you will yeah and i mean while that was quite a few people's genuinely lived experiences yep. where they don't get to be in the room while their partner's dying because their partner wasn't out to their family or because their partner was homophobic and at that time could ban you from the hospital room. I too am glad that that yeah. was easily resolved. But my favorite scene did take place in the hospital where Michael is screaming to get the husband to bed. Uh, yeah. I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Also very relatable. Like you hit a point where you're just watching a loved one die and there's nothing you can do. So those tiny things become huge because that's all you can really do for them at this time, right? You can't cure their cancer or save them. Unfortunately, you feel so helpless that those are the, those are the only things you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe for our next movie, we can choose something that's a little uplifting. We've done a horror by film a cancer death gay film. Um, What was the last happy film we did? We did the episode that never gets to air, the inspection. Um, So before Okay, we don't know if it never gets to air. It's just going to take an incredible amount of work to fix that shitty audio. (laughs) Um, So I feel like the last happy thing we did was probably bros. Okay, so so it depends. A League of Their Own, maybe. My policeman. Jesse, we've done so much depressing shit. I know. Okay. okay. Although, okay. by both our faults, because this was your choice. <laughs> by Aquila's fault. This was her choice. Which then I told her that I went and saw it yesterday. And she's like, but what if I wanted to go see it? And I was like, shit. I guess I'll go see it with you again. So, spoiler okay, well, alert, I get to watch this movie twice. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. But yes, yeah, next movie will be happier. Yeah, maybe we'll do some comedies or some Christmas something. We'll see. Or an action. Thank you for joining us today on Queer Watching. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at queer underscore watching. And if you want to send us an email with recommendations or feedback, you could be the first person to do so. So send it to queerwatching at gmail.com. Again, that's queerwatching at gmail.com. Have a good day.